I want to speak for a few minutes on the subject dying to live dying to live our text will come from John chapter 12 and um, before we read it just so you'll know um, I believe this stuff and so if I preach with a little passion um, that's nothing anybody that's going to surprise you that's what you're used to but it is resurrection Sunday this is the Super Bowl and so if I work up a sweat, don't worry about me. I come to do business for the Lord this morning. I've got a red hot newspaper and all I'm gonna do is just deliver his mail. Um, it reminds me of the elderly couple who got set up as they were living in the senior retirement center community together. He was 93 and she was 89. And she got real excited as they were going out on their first date together. Her 63-year-old daughter couldn't wait to get the report, so she drove over to the center when they came in that night after their dinner at 7.45. And she said, Mom, how'd it go? She said, Well, I had to slap him three times. And she said, the daughter said, You mean he tried to get fresh with you? She said, No, he fell asleep three times, and I had to slap him and wake him up. So I come to keep you awake this morning. In John chapter 12, the words of Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while everyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. We're just days before the Passover and the crucifixion. And Jesus is talking about life and how it happens. And in the kingdom, one of the key realities of the kingdom of God is that life springs from death. I want to say it again. Life springs from death. In the natural world, death follows life. But in the spiritual world, Life follows death. And I know that that's a paradigm shift and it takes some people their whole life to understand the kingdom of God and how it works. We're not in the natural world only. We have to pay our bills, but we live in a spiritual world and in a kingdom. We are citizens of a kingdom that works differently than we're accustomed to. Jesus says three things here. He says, very truly, I tell you. Anytime Jesus, the person of truth, says, Verily, verily, I say unto you. Anytime he says, I'm telling you the truth, there is a heightened emphasis. And we should place an interest in what he's saying and quickly obey. The second thing he says is, Unless a kernel of wheat or a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. And you have to catch that picture in nature. A seed or a kernel connected to its life source. Only when it's separated from that source and falls and gets buried and is in the dirt can it do what it was intended to do. I think Stephen Furtick is the one who said, preached the sermon a couple years ago. Let the dirt do its work. And that's how things happen. A seed, and all through God's, through the word, we see it that, wow, it, when it looked like it was over, it was actually in the beginning preparation stages of actually beginning. 
And that's how things work. And Jesus says very truly, listen to me, I'm telling you the truth. Unless a seed falls or a kernel of wheat, it only remains as a seed. The third thing he says is, but if it dies, listen, it produces many seeds. Life in the kingdom, everyone who comes to Christ, all of us are called to a life of transformation. Jesus here is talking about his life, about what or was foreshadowing of what was getting ready to happen on the cross, knowing they, they don't understand it. Only after, when the Holy Spirit helps them understand these events, will they even remember what I've told them and what I meant. But he's also speaking, and we'll go a little later, look at the rest of the passage. And he's saying, not only is it going to be the case for me in my life when I'm crucified and I die and get planted in the dirt and then on the third day come back. Not only is that going to work for me, but that's how it works for all of us who are in the kingdom. If it dies, it produces many seeds. You know, Jesus was forever making complex truth so simple. You know, the forest started by one seed. Plants. The life of the plant is in the seed of that plant falling into soil and dying as a seed and taking on a whole new form of a life-giving plant that will have other seeds. And that's how things work in the kingdom. It's important that we understand personally what that means. Paul told the Galatians in chapter 2, he said, listen, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I live, wait, you just said you don't live. Right. He doesn't. The life he now lives he lives by faith in the Son of God. And it's actually in me dying that the life of Jesus begins to live through me. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus talked about the cross and about following him. And he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. I want to talk to you for just a second. Listen to me. There are many people who never get to live life because they've never come to the end of their rope. We struggle with things, bondage, addictions, and we manage and we navigate and negotiate with that addiction or that past or that wound, whatever it is that limits us. And so many people never come to the end of their rope where they surrender. It's like, how do you surrender? How do I know when I've surrendered? It's like we told our girls, how will I know when I've met the right one? We said, you'll just know. And they would say, how? You'll just know. That's how. But how will you just know? You'll just know. And then when it finally happened, you're right. I just know. There's a room full of people in here this morning. Most of us have come to the end of our rope and we have surrendered. And it was in that surrender that we died to that addiction. We died to that old life. We stopped. We said, I've tried this long enough. I surrender. And in your surrender, that's when there was life released, the life of Christ, and the power of the Spirit released in you, and you begin to be changed from the inside out. Does anybody know? How many of you remember that day when that happened? 
It's a real thing. But you first have to surrender. You have to die to yourself. So let me set that up with that. Unless we die, we can't live. And we're all dying to live. It's Resurrection Sunday. This is a big deal. We talk about this stuff. This is the, the crux of our faith. The tomb is empty. Jesus is the Messiah. We raised our children, seven of them, and when the older ones were really young, we used to, they would hear me say often, I want my life to say the tomb is empty. I want my prayers to sound like the tomb is empty. They would hear me, my sermons are going to have passion like the tomb is empty. I'm going to walk around like the tomb is empty. For nothing is impossible with God. And then we had two English bulldogs. Well, I, we didn't have them. I had them. I had two English bulldogs, Abby and Huckleberry, before Candace and I were married. She tolerated them. And uh, while we wept when they passed away, she silently rejoiced. <laughs> and um, true statement. And when the younger one, Huckleberry, I mean, they were perfect show breed bulldogs. You remember, I was a youth pastor here in the early 90s, and I had those two dogs living. I wasn't married. All I had was two dogs and a poor little Jeep. And um, we lost Huckleberry one day and we couldn't find him and that we like just couldn't find him and so I just engaged the kids in the neighborhood like look if you could help us we're looking for Huckleberry and all the kids love our English bulldogs and a few hours later this little boy in the neighborhood comes up and says I've got some good news and some bad news the good news is we found Huckleberry the bad news is he's dead and so they told us where he was, and we walked up around the corner, and I had a wheelbarrow and gloves. I didn't want to, like, pick up and a shovel. And we got Huckleberry in the big old wheelbarrow. They were like 75, 80-pound dogs. And we put it, and we're, we're going back down the street. I'll never forget it. I can tell you exactly where we were. And Brandon, our oldest, was about seven years old then. And there was this, this morning, and this, nobody was saying anything. And Brandon goes, it's okay, Dad. We can pray for Huckleberry. And God will resurrect him. Because the tomb is empty. And there was, a, there was a moment in my life like, Oh, my Lord. And then Candace was like, If you pray for God to resurrect him, I'm going to pray that he doesn't resurrect him. And I'm like, Well, we'll see whose prayers are going to get answered. I can remember Erica as a little girl one night. She was burdened for the devil. She said, let's pray that Satan gets saved. And we were like, all right, Candace, you lead her in that prayer. Here we go. You know, the child, the faith of a, that God, then I began going, how awesome would that be if Satan got saved? Even now, some of y'all are going, I'm embarrassed to say it, but I've never prayed for Satan. I digress. Don't start. He's, he's gone. Pray for your husband. He needs it. Resurrection 
is a big deal. But in our world, not everybody comes in, in today's Google searching world and says, yeah, I, be, I believe this. Because there's a lot of skeptics and they've spread a lot of misinformation. And I understand that if you're here this morning before I go on any further in this Resurrection Sunday sermon, I want us to, let's talk a little bit about your concerns and your misgivings on the resurrection. Everybody believes Jesus was a good teacher, a great man, but is he Lord? I understand your concerns, but there are several things. When I was in seminary, which was the hardest place for me to keep my faith, I, I dealt with a lot of these questions, and I've helped a lot of other people deal with these questions as we move forward. And it's my belief that we as believers need to be convinced that Jesus is who the word of God says he is. We need to know that. We need to know that the tomb is empty. All of us need to know that God is the God of the impossible. We need to know it. And so how do you deal with that, Pastor Chuck? There's several things as I look at the story of the resurrection that give me confidence and a strong belief that the tomb is empty and that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. The first is, even among his own disciples, he had, there was a skeptic, Thomas, as we've come to know him as the infamous doubting Thomas. It's good to know that even one of Jesus' followers questioned the resurrection, as the, the ones who were reading the scriptures earlier reminded us. And we give Thomas a bad rap, but... Truth is, most of us would be like him too. The unfortunate thing, Thomas wasn't there when Jesus first appeared to the disciples after he was resurrected. And then a few days later, Thomas was there. And he heard the scuttlebutt and the women talking about the fact that Jesus was resurrected. And he, a commonsensical person and a skeptic, said, I'm sorry. I just, I can't go there until I see him put my hands in his side, and I see the scar in his hands. And you know what Jesus did. He meets skeptics. He comes to be understood. And he appeared and he said, Thomas, I heard what you've been saying about me. Come right here. Take a look. Look. And then Thomas went Alabama redneck on him. And he said, my Lord and my God. That's what he said. It's good to know that a skeptic of the first century, someone up close to Jesus, became convinced and would later die for his faith. There's other things. Paul mentioned the 500 witnesses who saw Jesus after the resurrection. Five, more than 500 people saw Jesus at one time. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 through 6 talks about this. And everybody hear me. We understand and even in modern psychology, there is no such thing as corporate hallucination. One or two people may go, you know, because their emotions kick in. And our emotions are funny. They read earlier this morning that Mary didn't recognize Jesus. She thought it was the gardener. And sometimes our emotions kick in. And Paul is saying, listen, everything I'm saying to you, you Corinthians, you can trust this. Jesus first appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the disciples. And then at one time, listen, he's trying to give an apologetic 
evidence for the fact that, listen, what I'm telling you is the truth. I, we have seen Jesus, and he says, he appeared to fi over 500 people at one time. Why is corporate hallucination not possible? Because in a group this size, if Jesus appeared, or if he didn't appear, and we were like, hey, everybody, let's go tell CNN and Fox he, he appeared. Just, everybody, let's covenant, Girl Scout, honor, we're going to keep our word. Before next week, somebody in here will go, I wasn't totally with them. But what happened in the first century? Jesus appeared to a group just like this. And every one of them stuck to that story. And Paul says, in fact, most of them are still alive. If you don't believe me, go ask one of them. And they could in a world that only traveled within a few miles of where they were. The third thing is Paul, who used to be Saul. Saul of Tarsus becomes Paul the Apostle. I want to just jump through this. Everybody look at me. And it's a day where spiritual leaders have to speak the truth. And sometimes analogies, you might get tripped up and go, just, just don't hear me say anything else but what I'm saying. Whatever side of the aisle you're on, can you imagine... The Speaker of the House changing sides. D d please don't add any commentary. Just, I know you're tempted to. I know you're sitting there going, no, can't do it. In fact, don't want her to either. No. Just can you imagine? Can you imagine the governor of New York coming clean and going, listen, Saul of Tarsus was way on the, he was way further away from what we're suggesting, imagine, than either of them. And Saul was terrorizing. Imagine, we, we could go on and on and illustrate it. And Saul gets welcomed into heaven. Some of his victims that he martyred were cheering him on. As he entered into heaven and Saul became Paul and wrote more than half of the New Testament. Are y'all out there this morning? <laughs> Fourthly, moving quickly, my personal experience. You, they can say what they want. You can say what you want. Jesus, listen to me. I, I wish I had time to sit with every one of you individually. Jesus he makes life work. My life works because I understand his word. His spirit has revealed himself to me. Can you imagine, can you imagine that happening? Saul terrorized, murdered Christians, and yet God transformed him, and he's the one defending what just happened. Fifthly, my life experience as I shared. John 14, verse 21, number four, my personal experience. There's a scripture, in the name of Jesus, let no distraction rule or reign or even take away from the truth of what you want to do this morning in the name of Jesus. And we all agree, amen? amen. And I appreciate our sister. I know she is sincere and loves the Lord and wants everybody to love the Lord like she does. 
I get that. And sometimes we get excited and we want to do something that might not be in good order. And I just, I hope everybody understood. She's part of our family and we love her. Amen. Um, there's a verse in John 14, verse 21. Jesus says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Don't, don't underestimate that word. There is a connection in my surrendering to him and aligning with his word. He says, he who loves me will keep my commands and my father and I will love him and we will show ourselves to that person. How many of you have seen personal evidence in your life that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Deep, 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 deep down in your heart and soul, you know you're on the way to eternal life. Come on, am I, am I right? Testify in Jesus' name. I, I could go on and on. Jesus' life and impact, number five. He only lived 33 years and never traveled more than 30 miles from where he was born. And he didn't even start his ministry until he was 30 years old. This man only ministered for three years, 2,000 years ago, and we're still talking about him. The Bible, number six, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. Not only that, do you know that the Bible is the best-selling book every year? A half billion dollars are spent on purchasing copies of the Bible. I could go on and on and on and on. I think you get my point. Everybody listen to me. You need to take the claims of Jesus seriously. He is either Lord of all or he's a lunatic. He thinks he's somebody he's not. Or he's a liar. How many of you discovered he's not a liar He's not a lunatic. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Muhammad died. And you can find his tombstone. It says Muhammad lies here. Confucius, Buddha, Dalai Lama. But today we celebrate the fact that Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. We, we could go on and on and on and on. Do you know Matthew 27, verse 53? This one's not in my notes, but it jumps out at me. Do you know that when Matthew said that when Jesus died, there were tombs of the saints in Jerusalem that were emptied. Saints of old were resurrected because they were too close to Calvary and the power got them too. You know that happened. That's a whole nother subject and a whole nother sermon. Now... As, that's why I believe in the resurrection. And that's why I worship Jesus and preach like I do. Now, with that said, I want everybody to tune in again. This is a day of spiritual leaders parsing their words, playing political games as to not offend anyone. And I want to drill down and I want us to look and see what God's word says. As you've heard me say in this last pandemic year, God's word addresses everything we're going through. And it's uncanny to see the truth as to what we are to do and how we are to live. 
There's a lot of fear in our world today, in our culture. We continue to deal with this pandemic, political rest, unrest, I should say, a media that is state-run and hell-bent on dividing people. There is racial tension, and we are in the midst of a seismic shift in the Western world. We've gone from being a Christian nation to a post-Christian nation, and now we are in an anti-Christian culture. Brothers and sisters, we are not in Kansas anymore. All of this has given many believers concern, worry, anxiety, oppression, and even anger to begin to take things in our own hands. How do we deal with this kind of stress and this kind of pressure? I'll tell you how we deal with it. Let's look to the word. Let's see how Jesus handled the exact situation that many of us find ourselves in. The parallels of what's happening in the U.S. of A. right now. It's uncanny as to the time Jesus was crucified. We are number one. We are dealing with a mob mentality. In Mark chapter 14, Judas was paid off and the mob comes to arrest Jesus. There is dirty money. There's an insider who becomes a betrayer and it is used to fulfill prophecy. Not only do we have a mob mentality, we have an unfair trial. In Matthew 26, before the Sanhedrin, his own people, the Jewish people, and also in chapter 27 of Matthew, before Pilate, the Roman governor. In Matthew 26, we see Caiaphas, the high priest, in the Jewish court, verse 59 says, the chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. You see the picture here? Finally, two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Verse 66, what do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fist. Others slapped him and said, hey, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? An unfair trial is a trial that you can't win even if you're innocent. Was Jesus telling them the truth? Could he rebuild the temple in three days? He could. He still was convicted. They were losing their position. They were losing their power. The religious ruling class was losing their prestige and they didn't like it, even if he was the Messiah. And that's what a religious, controlling, prideful spirit will do. It doesn't matter if it's in the best interest of the people or the best interest of the nation, pride seeks to rule and control. It's the spirit of murder and the spirit of Satan. Jesus told them the truth. In Matthew 27, it was the custom at Passover to release a prisoner cho by, chosen by the crowd. And they had a choice, Jesus or Barabbas. And the Bible says he was a, listen, well-known prisoner. Pilate knew it was the ruling class and their selfish interests and that's why they wanted to kill Jesus. 
God even gives Pilate's wife a dream. And she warned Pilate about a dream she had and that he was to let Jesus go. And Pilate asked them, okay, which of the two do you want me to release, Jesus or Barabbas? Can you think, can you imagine such a choice? A well-known criminal, think Jeffrey Dahmer. Think and Jesus. And they chose to vote Barabbas. Let him go. Pilate says, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And they shout, crucify him. This is in Matthew 27. And he says, why? What crime has he committed? And all it says, they didn't even answer the question. We're not even going to consider the evidence. They shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. And Matthew 27 says this in verse 24, the B part. I am innocent of this man's blood, Pilate said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas to them. The third thing that we see, the uncanny parallel, is a questionable election. Don't hear me saying anything more than what I'm saying. A questionable election that brings forth disorder and chaos. We see the elite, elite ruling class manipulate the vote. And even after the vote, they use dirty money to pay off the guards to keep quiet on the truth about what happened in the garden tomb. Matthew 27, verse 62 says, the next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. You get this, this is the religious ruling class going to the governor going, hey, remember what he said, we gotta take, I know the election's taking place, we voted, and we won, but still, we want to make sure. Otherwise, it says, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Okay, take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Matthew 28, verse 11 says, while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, he's not resurrected. His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. All I'm saying is we have a similar situation that we're dealing with. Fourth thing we have is a cancel culture. John chapter 12, the early part of the, cha of the chapter where we get our text, verses one and two says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had, risen, had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, look, while Lazarus post his resurrection 
was among those reclining at the table with him. Everybody look here. There's some things in the Bible. I don't know why the gospel writers didn't follow Lazarus around. Can you imagine sitting there? I'd be sitting there going, I know we're here and Jesus is coming and Martha. But Lazarus, look at you, man. What was that like? You were dead, bro. You were dead. And all Jesus did was say, Lazarus, come forth. And you come forth. I mean, that's like Daryl Honeycutt. Lazarus got more lives. That's what we call Daryl Elgato. Cancer number one, can't get him. Cancer number two, can't get him. COVID with cancer number two, can't get him. There's resurrection life flowing through Daryl Honeycutt. It's like our Lazarus. You know, why didn't the gospel writers, like, tell us about Lazarus? This is all we get right here. He sat right there. And look what happens in this cancel culture. Verse 9 says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came. Not only because of him, of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Many of you have never noticed that. Why? Why, why, why are you killing Lazarus? That's right. For on account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Your connection to Jesus might get you canceled. Listen to me. But you can't be canceled if you're connected to Jesus. I'm going to say it again. Hold on. I'm not saying anything more than I'm saying. But what I'm saying, I'm saying. You understand what I'm saying? Here's what I'm saying. They can't cancel me. Don't clap because I got more to say. They can't cancel me. They can threaten me. They can intimidate. They can limit how far my voice and what I, they can take me off Facebook. They can take me off Twitter. They can take me off all this stuff, but they can't cancel me. Why? Because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that's working in me. And that's an uncancelable spirit. Listen, not only that, listen. They can't cancel my anointing. They can't cancel my love. There is nothing anybody can do to make me stop loving them. There are people in this divided culture of accusation. You know what the problem with accusation and cancel culture is? If I accuse you, I cast guilt on you and ruin your reputation even if you're innocent. The spirit of accusation, you can call me a racist, and just you calling me, I'm already judged or prejudged and guilty in this culture of cancel culture. Whew. That's a dangerous culture. In fact, Romans, uh, Revelation 12 says, listen to me, I'm, pre I'm preaching the word of God right now. This is not this side of the aisle or that side. But somebody needs to weigh in and say the truth and not be afraid of this side or that side. We need to stand up for this side. That's what we need to do. <clears throat> Listen. They come to cancel and silence our voice. Not going to happen. The Bible says that Satan wearies the saints 
both day and night, all day long, accusing the brethren. Somebody can come and say something, you know, just outlandish and go, I, I, I don't even, I don't, I, want, I don't want to lose your minds into how evil the spirit of accusation is. Even right now, preaching the truth, there is a, I see what side you're on. I know how you feel about people of color now based on what you're saying. No, you don't. And if you think you do, one of my daughters dated a person of color for over three years. We thought they were about to get married. They didn't. The Lord spoke to me that whole time. He treated her like every father wants their daughter to be treated. And the Lord said to me, I, I answered your prayer. And I said, yes, you did. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you never told me what color. And I said, no, I didn't. Because that's not what's important. I could drill down right here. Somebody, this cancel culture and this, we box you in and, and keep you afraid to, to say things. Even right now, there are people of color don't, don't let the enemy. There are people in other generations who you, you'll be tempted to hold things against me because I'm not in your... The, who comes to divide? Satan. Who comes to unite? Holy Spirit. How does Holy Spirit unite? Through truth. Revealing the person of Jesus. He is truth. How many of you know we're going to love this world? We're going to serve this community. We're going to love this community. But we are not going to back down from the truth. We will not be canceled. Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Can I get a witness this morning? Getting canceled doesn't necessarily mean that you are wrong or right. It doesn't necessarily mean that you lost. In the Old Testament, if the prophets missed it, they got stoned. We like to remind everybody that, right? In the Old Testament, when the prophets got it right, they got stoned. There's a price to be paid for standing up for the truth. The mob canceled the Son of God, and it looked like he lost. But on the third day... The rest of the story. Number five, an innocent person suffers. We're okay when criminals are punished and justice is served, but none of us like to see innocent people suffer. Am I right? The leader on God's side is crucified. In fact, God is crucified between two thieves. And listen, why? to fulfill prophecy. All five of these uncanny parallels of the time of Jesus' death that don't sit well with any of us were to fulfill prophecy. Matthew chapter 27, look right here with me. So the women hurried away from the tomb and this is where we are, brothers and sisters, afraid 
yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. I just read that to say to you two things. Number one, if you are nervous, anxious, and yet filled with joy, what are we to do? We are to go and tell people the story of the resurrection. Oh, there's a lot I want to preach right here, and I don't have time, and you got lunch waiting on you and friends and eggs out in the yard. I mean, seriously, the, the body of Christ right now, can we get together? Should we meet? If we do, should we wear masks? Should we not meet? Y'all aren't meeting. Pastor Chuck, why aren't you? Y'all are meeting, but there's too many of you. Nervous and yet filled with joy. Why? Because we're in the season of God doing something in the earth. Oh, there, things are being released that we've prayed for and dreamt about for years. And it looks like the seed has fallen to the ground and the dirt is doing its work. In our culture, we are dying to live. We're dying for the truth. In America right now, all of us, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, we would love a little more clarity. We want to follow trustworthy leaders. However, this is seldom the case in a fallen world. No wonder we're told to pray for them. They need it. And we're forced to trust, Romans 13 is true, that God appoints those in authority. That God uses the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're seeing, oh, please, if you haven't listened to anything, I'm coming in for a landing in a few minutes. Listen to me. We are seeing a kernel of wheat fall to the ground. It's, it's dying. And the dirt is doing its work. And there's an invisible thing being birthed right under our feet in the kingdom. What if you and I, being the salt of the earth, is more than just the impact we have when we see, when we help others see the light in us? What if it's more than that? What if it's the prayers that we pray when it looks like God's side is losing? What if it's the faith we have when it looks like churches are emptying out? We're losing. We should all be depressed and open. What if it's the faith and the belief that our prayers are being answered? What if God's best work is done when the seed is buried, all hope is lost, and the only hope we have is a miracle? Are y'all out there this morning? I'm closing, to, and I want to read this passage right here from the passage translation, and we're going to extract two things out, and we're going to be done long before we normally are done because happy Resurrection Sunday, everyone, from Pastor Chuck. John chapter 12, our text in the passage translation. He replied to them, Now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Let me make this clear. 
A single grain of wheat will never be more than a single grain of wheat unless it drops into the ground and dies. Because then it sprouts and produces a great harvest of wheat, all because one grain died. A great harvest of wheat, all because one grain died. The person who loves his life and pampers himself will miss true life. Should I pause right there and let all of us North Atlantans admit the fact that he's talking about most of us right now? Or actually most of our husbands. <laughs> Hear it though, brothers. The, the man who, the person who pampers his life will miss true life, but the one who detaches his life from this world and abandons himself to me will find true life and enjoy it forever. If you want to be my disciple, follow me, and you will go where I am going. And if you truly follow me as my disciple, the Father will shower his favor upon your life. How many of you could stand a little more favor? Thirteen of us. How many of you could stand? How many of you could stand? And you know, the way to it, we're dying to live. We're dying to live. Life follows death. Verse 27. Even though I am torn within and my soul is in turmoil, I will not ask the Father to rescue me from this hour of trial. I just, I got to read that again. Holy Spirit, just massage your truth. May it resonate in our hearts. May we marinate on it. Even Jesus' words. Even though I'm torn within and my soul is in turmoil. How many of you can relate to that in this pandemic year? My soul's in turmoil. I'm torn up on the inside. I will not ask the Father to rescue me from this hour of trial. For I have come to fulfill my purpose. To offer myself to God. I, I have to pause. What if this whole thing is a setup? Not from the left or the right but for the kingdom? What if this whole thing is just God awakening the church? What if this is like that 89-year-old lady, the church fell asleep and God's just slapping us? Let me tell you, it's not what if. It is the case. And there is an awakening coming by faith in the name of Jesus. For I've come to, uh, verse 28, so, Father, bring glory to your name. Then catch this picture. <laughs> then suddenly a booming voice was heard from the sky. I have glorified my name, and I will glorify it through you again. The audible voice of God startled the crowd standing nearby. Some thought it was only thunder. It doesn't say it here, but that had to be some dumb, hard-headed men. <laughs> but seriously, God speaks supernaturally. And people go, ah, uh, that was just nature. That was just thunder. How many people do that in our culture? Whew. Some thought it was only thunder, yet others said an angel just spoke to him. And look what Jesus said. Then Jesus told them, 
The voice you heard was not for my benefit, but for yours to help you believe. From this moment on, everything in this world is about to change. I just feel like this is for us today. From this moment on, everything in this world is about to change. We're not going back to the old normal. We're in a new and better and improved normal. And there is a new anointing for this new normal. There is an awakening happening. It's not coming. Not everybody's going to be awakened. Many are going to go, ah, that was thunder. What do you hear this morning? Closing. For the ruler of this dark world will be overthrown. I'm going to pause because that's a great opportunity for somebody to elbow the person sitting next to them going, I believe that. I'm going to go back and give you an opportunity. From this moment on, everything in this world is about to change. For the ruler of this dark world will be overthrown. Hallelujah. And he says... And I will do this when the people lift me up. Mm. Don't know what this means, right? Only 15 more minutes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Brothers and sisters, as I pray, I know many people are still alarmed. I know many people are concerned the crazy stuff that's happened in Georgia, Major League Baseball. I'm not going to stay silent. I'm not going to take out my sword like Peter did and cut anybody's ear off. And I'm not going to let Major League Baseball and cancel culture and politics become my kingdom. But neither do I have to be silent. But that's not going to be my focus. No, listen to me, listen to me. No matter what happens out there, what's important is what happens in here. When the family of God gathers, do we hear his prophetic word? Do we sense his glory when we worship? Are lost people coming to Jesus? Are marriages being restored? Are people finding life, the abundant life? Are y'all out there this morning? Come on. Stand to your feet with me. We praise you, Lord. If you're here this morning and you have not been like that kernel of wheat and fallen to the ground, surrendered, if you haven't come to the end of your rope, everybody look, if you don't know life yet, you should. And if you have life, if you are alive spiritually, you know you're alive and life makes sense. And you're not in fear of what's going on, what's gonna happen, where you're going eternally. How many of you are thankful for that eternal freedom of knowing that your name has been written? Come on. If you don't know that this morning, I can't, I can't dismiss a crowd like this without giving you an opportunity to receive Christ. It's just simple. In fact, for many of you this morning, you're either going, ah, oh, that was thunder, or your heart, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, eternity is in our hearts. 
when you hear truth, something on the inside goes, I know I need that. I want to give you an opportunity to open the door of your heart and receive the Savior so that you can live. If you're here this morning and that's you, I want you to say this prayer with me. And as I pray, I want you to open your heart and agree. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is the Messiah and that God raised him from the dead, we'll have life. Jesus name I want you to be alive this morning I want you to walk out of here with a peace like you've never had before how many of you want everybody in this room to know Jesus like you know you want everybody in this room to have peace amen so father I come to you right now asking you to forgive me of my sins I need you and I want you I need a savior and today I believe you are the savior of the world. You're the Messiah. You're the son of God, Jesus. And I'm placing my faith in you that you are the Lord of all. And I want you to be the Lord of my life. And so I confess my sins and I ask that by your blood you would cleanse me and renew me. I ask that by the power of your spirit you would transform me. Fill me with the power of the resurrection, the spirit of the resurrection. And I submit and I surrender at the end of my rope right now. I ask that you would change me from the inside out. May I know peace that passes understanding. May I know security that I have eternal life. Reveal your love. Reveal your word to me. I open my heart to you and I surrender now and I accept you as my Savior and as my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you're here this morning and you agreed and you allowed your heart to be sub supple to the prayer that I just prayed, and if you place your faith in Jesus, he's now the Savior the Lord of your life. And I pray that resurrection power and that he will confirm what you've just done. May he confirm it in your heart with evidence. I pray that you'll see life and people and the world differently in the name of Jesus. And if you did pray that prayer, I pray that you'll meet me here at the end of the service or that you'll reach out to us and let us know that you prayed that prayer in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, for the rest of you, how many of you want to be a part of what God is doing in the earth? How many of you want to be a part of a church that is, oh listen, that is hungry for Him, that wants to see the fire and the passion of God? How many of you want to hear the truth of God and you want to see the kingdom of God come? Come on. Let's lift up a praise and a shout to him. We praise you. Come on, we praise you, Lord. And so I say to you, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. And so may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance toward you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.
Just say, I receive it. Amen.